Welcome to Progressive Opinions of Color, a podcast that creates space for people of color in conversations about economics, politics, and culture. I'm your host, Nancy Wu, and today we have a super interesting and timely episode with Brad Jenkins, who is the AAPI Victory Fund president. Brad has a super interesting background, and you may know him from Funny or Die. We're going to hear all about how he transitioned from working in a hedge fund to the Obama administration to becoming a producer. We're also going to talk about how Asian Americans are the margin of victory for Democrats in midterm elections for a lot of the swing states and how to get involved in politics to get more AAPI candidates elected into office. A bit about Brad. I'm going to read from his bio for a sec. He's really, really badass. AAPI Victory Fund President and Enfranchisement CEO and Founder Brad Jenkins spent four years serving as President Obama's Associate Director in the White House Office of Public Engagement. From the White House, Jenkins brought together creative executives, thought leaders, and some of the world's biggest stars to advance the president's agenda, accumulating in the Emmy Award-winning Between Two Ferns interview on the Affordable Care Act. Jenkins then joined Will Ferrell's Funny or Die as managing director and executive producer running Funny or Die DC. Since then, Jenkins has produced over 70 social impact campaigns, documentaries, specials, and events with organizations, companies, PACs, IEs, and foundations with a particular focus on the Asian American Pacific Islander community. Also, if you're listening to this episode before May 20th, Brad will be talking about a big fundraiser that the Victory Fund is hosting in D.C. And if you're interested, be sure to message POC Podcast on Instagram or Brad's link below on his Instagram account, Also, as always, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts if you haven't yet, because we are always trying to grow. And also, as always, definitely need some help on this podcast if you or anyone you know wants to edit, produce, market, find sponsors for this podcast, please let us know. Comment on POC Podcast Instagram or DM and email opinionspoc at gmail.com, and we will chat. All right, enjoy the episode. Hi, Brad. Thanks so much for coming on to POC Podcast. How's it going? Nancy, thank you. Nancy called me at like dad chaos. My kids were in the backseat of my minivan. I'm outing myself as a very corny dad. And so I was able to finally get back home, but I'm so excited to talk to you. It's such a, an exciting moment for the API community. And I'm a huge, obviously huge fan of Nancy in the podcast. So thank you for having me. Before we get started about all of the topics, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? So my name is Brad Jenkins, worst Asian name of all time. It's very clear, but it is Brad Jenkins. I wear a number of hats. The hats that I think Nancy has me on is president and CEO of the API Victory Fund, which is the first ever super PAC for Asian American candidates and movement leaders actually founded by Norm Mineta, um, who passed away just this past week. Uh, so it's been a, uh, a pretty somber, tough week for many of our board members and our co-founder, um, Shaker. But um, the work I do is we are investing in getting as many Asian Americans elected to offices all across the country. There are only about 1% 
of elected officials in the country are Asian American, which is unacceptable. Uh, given we are the fastest growing demographic, we are 23 million strong. And in large part, the major reason why is because a lot of these candidates just don't have access to what, you know, again, white candidates do, which is, you know, money, resources, connections, super PACs. And so the Victory Fund has been investing in candidates like Michelle Wu, who's now mayor of Boston, or Mayor Perval in Cincinnati, Um, Andy Kim, who's my congressman or my hometown congressman from New Jersey. We've had incredible success finding, recruiting, investing in these amazing candidates. And so our mission, I just came on uh, officially a couple months ago to, to run the fund for this cycle. And our mission is, you know, not to be hyperbolic. Nancy, I'm sure a lot of your folks on the podcast have also echoed how important these midterms are, but they are, I live in DC. So it's kind of hard to be honest with people who don't live in DC, but um, I don't know that these elections could be more important for a lot of reasons. Namely that we had a fascist that literally tried to circumvent our democracy and steal an election and then blame Democrats for trying to steal an election. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a very scary moment. And Asian Americans in so many of our battleground states for Senate for Congress, for governorships, for secretaries of state. So those elections where you count the votes, the margin of victory will be Asian Americans. So, so that's what I do. I do a bunch of other things, Nancy, but I think that that's primarily, I think what we're going to talk about. I wanted to hear about some of your other things too, like (laughs) or die. I mean, you've done a lot. So love to hear more about your background and where you got to where you are now at API victory fund. Yeah, I've had a very weird Forrest Gump life, like the number of jobs, the types of jobs um, that I had. I mean, I grew up in Jersey. My dad's African-American. My mom's Korean-American. Um, so I grew up as like a very confused Blasian in Trenton, New Jersey. Growing up, you know, identity was very interesting. I like, because my dad kept telling me I was black, but I looked 100% Asian. So it's very, very confusing. But um, I worked primarily it's interesting story. Like when I was in college and growing up, I did a lot of art. So I did theater. Speaking of hip hop, I did hip hop, uh, went to university of Virginia. And in my head, I was like, Oh, I'm going to be like a theater kid. I, I did a bunch of shows there, moved to New York. And the job I got was at a law firm of all things as a legal assistant. Um, and so worked there for a number of years. And then our clients were, financial firm. So I worked in finance. I, I ended up working on a trading desk for JP Morgan, wow. all things. I was a trader for a couple of years. And then I actually got a job at a hedge fund of all things. This was like the height of capitalism. And then was working at a hedge fund in New York. And then my girlfriend at the time, Marina, got accepted into Stanford Law School. So then we moved to California. And then I got a job at a hedge fund in San Francisco. And around that time was when Barack Obama ran, was running for, for president. And I just drank the Obama Kool-Aid and I quit my job, joined the campaign officially and just rode this Obama campaign wave. And my job was primarily youth media. So when I was in California, I was like one of the bigger volunteer coordinators in the country, like our little Silicon Valley office 
was one of the most active volunteer um, offices in the country. So moved to Chicago. This was in like June or, or May of 2008 to uh, obviously to November. We won, which was amazing. I didn't think we were, gonna, I, I like joined the campaign. I didn't think we were going to win. And then Obama won. And then everyone kept saying like, oh, we're going to now all work at the White House. And I thought that that was so stupid. I was like, they're not going to hire you at the White House. I was like, you're a child in like pajama pants. Like no one's going to hire you to work at the White House. But they were right. Like I didn't know the way that things work. That's why people work on campaigns. You work on a campaign because when, you know, these are the people that have been with the president from day one. And so when they're building out all of these jobs at the White House, a lot of those kids in pajama pants and myself ended up working at the White House. And so I was there for four years. My portfolio was um, progressive organizations and celebrities. I don't know why they gave me that this portfolio, but my job was to, to engage with everyone, like A-listers, but also writers, producers. We also worked with a lot of folks behind the scenes. So like foundations of agencies, you know, publicists, et cetera. And then one of my big jobs was working on healthcare to get the word out. And so I worked very closely with Funny or Die, which is Will Ferrell's production company. And we made this video. It won an Emmy Award. It was a Zach Alfanakis and President Obama. And then Funny or Die asked me to like run a lot a line of business for them. We opened up a new company called Funny or Die DC. And we produced, I mean, in retrospect, it's crazy. We produced like 30 different campaigns, social impact campaigns for four years. Yeah, it's a lot. And so, you know, my history is very scattered. I learned a lot at Funnier Die on how to make short films, how to make voter registration events and campaigns and concerts. And so three years ago, I started my own company called Enfranchisement. And we now produce... Um, we just wrapped on a Hulu special, which is incredible. Uh, um, and we're working on a film with Common, a documentary film with Common. And in the midst of all of this, uh, my friends Shaker and Bell invited me to uh, help lead the Victory Fund, which is this uh, super PAC. So we are now embarking on this huge event that we're doing. I can't talk too much about it. We'll be like the coolest Asian American political event that we've ever done, like as a country. And it'll be on May 20th here in DC. And we're getting, you know, the White House involved and some of the biggest stars in the world involved. And so it's uh it's an exciting time, Nancy. We've got to get people to the polls. You know, everything is at stake. Yeah, and doing a lot. I mean, that's really cool. And it's really inspiring to me that you kind of started out in the hedge fund slash finance, like not politics side of life, and then just went into it. I mean, right now I'm in tech. I've been a tech bro for a few years now, like five years. And this is my side project. Always one day hoping to go into more political organizing. It was a very (laughs) tough decision. I think it's all about timing, right? Like life is all about timing. So I'd worked in finance for like seven years or eight years. I was at that point where I knew what my life was going to look like. Like I could just see it, you know, like my friends that still work at that hedge fund are still there. Like they have not left. Like that's a great job. You know, like that's a job that, 
you're going to learn every day. I mean, that's the thing about finances. I'm sure, you know, in tech too, like you're surrounded by brilliant people. You're working on something very important. And especially in, fi- in finance, you're so much of our job was knowing what's happening in the world, right? Like you can't be a good investor or trader if you don't know what's happening in Guatemala or what's happening in Mexico or what's happening in France, right? So I was very interested in the way that the world worked. The challenge with working at a firm like that, though, is like our number one job was to make super rich people super richer. (laughs) (laughs) And I just, it just didn't sit well with me. Like, I just felt like as much like, even when we had a really good quarter or even when like, again, like we'd get a big bonus or all these things, I never felt good about it. I, I always felt like, my whatever it is like my talents or my expertise or just my ability to communicate is wasted it's like my life is just helping super rich people get richer and i grew up very you know lower middle class my dad grew up super poor like in the jim crow south right like my dad's dad was a janitor you know like my dad's dad was a janitor at an all-white country club you know and you know, my dad like was so excited that I got this job. He was like, this is great. You know, you're getting paid well, your kids are going to have a college fund, you know, but there's a certain level of feeling like that's not what I think my grandfather would want me to do. Making money for a bunch of rich white people is almost equivalent to being a janitor at a white country club. Serving that I'm not serving me. I'm not serving. I'm again paid better than my grandfather or my great grandfather. It's the same thing. And so I had this like very long conversation. It was like, it was a big moment in my life because I just gotten this job. We'd just gotten this house in Menlo park in Silicon Valley. And my wife and I just got married. She was at Stanford law school. And we had this cute little house in this like backyard, literally a white picket fence, like the whole thing. <laughs> And all of her classmates would come over and I was like living this life. And when I got the Obama job offer, um, I was, I I asked her, I was like, I don't, I think that this is what I should do. Like I should quit my job. And by the way, the Obama campaign offer was like, it was like no money. And I'm not even kidding. Like it was like, we're going (laughs) to, we're going to give you like $200. Like I had this like fancy title. I think my title was like deputy national director of special projects or whatever. And I was like, Oh, cool, cool, cool. Like, how does it pay? And they're like, Oh, it doesn't really pay. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I mean, my wife and I both, you know, grew up in New Jersey. We both have very similar backgrounds and she was the one who encouraged me. She was like, this is a once in a lifetime moment. She's like, you do not get more excited about anything else other than, than this work. It's not your real job. It's, it's your, it's, you know, your organizing job. And so it was a huge leap of faith. And then when I ended up doing the work and then working at the white house it was similarly like a huge leap of faith to work in Hollywood. Cause I didn't know anything about, oh, yeah. you know, like I, I made a very good friend. I mean, so much of this is like the friends that you make, but my, very good friend, Mike Farah, who was um, head of production at Funnier Die at the time. He's now CEO of Funnier Die. He came to the White House. We became very quick friends. And I was doing all this celebrity outreach. So I was like meeting all these Hollywood people. And I asked him, I was like, well, I got this job offer from this like publicity firm, PR firm. 
He's like, oh no, you don't want to be a PR person. You don't want to be an agent. He's like explaining to me like what 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 I should do. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, what should I do? And he's like, oh, you should be a producer. You should make stuff. Like that's what you do. Like you're communicating. You're working with the president. You're trying to get people, you know, enrolled in healthcare. Try to get them uh, registered to vote. We can teach you how to be a producer. We can teach you how to make stuff, right? We can teach you how to like run a budget, hire a director right? Like come up with a whole design and script and the whole thing. And so that was another big leap too. Cause I didn't know all my other friends were going into, you know, lobbying or advocacy or, you know, many of them were working at Facebook. Many of them were working at Google or I guess it's all like one company at this point, but you know what I mean? Like it's, <laughs> you know, Lyft, Uber, like all these places. And I don't know. I just like, I, I, I really believe in Mike and I believe that we had a moment where there was an opportunity to do content better, you know, because I think most young people did not care about anything we were doing at the white house. And so, yeah, so I quit I another quitting of the job. I quit my job, <laughs> quit my job at the white house. My job was Barack Obama. And then my job was Will Ferrell. Those are two very different bosses and uh, I was there for like four years, like learning. It was like a boot camp for how to produce. It's interesting that, that we're talking about this because I do feel like surrounding midterms and getting the API vote out, a lot of API folks, including like lots me in the past and a lot of my friends, we just didn't get involved in politics and we still aren't in those career paths because yeah. we went the traditional way to build up wealth so that we can one day do that because we weren't born to rich white parents who <laughs> the country club, um, immigrant parents who came to the U S with $0 in 2000. Uh, so very different from like a lot of like my peers who got to, who are in politics now. And it sounds like you can really join at like any point in time. Like what would your advice be to all the other API folks right now who are like me working in tech or working in some other job and just watching politics all day, want to be involved in politics. Yeah. I mean, what you're doing is incredible, Nancy, to be honest. Like the fact that you have this podcast, the fact that you're using your time for something like this. um, I think we don't have enough of this to be candid. Like I think I'll say this like about the Asian American community because, you know, I've had a very complicated relationship with being Asian because one, as I mentioned at the top, I have the worst Asian name of all time. So no one knows what I, my name is Brad Jenkins. So no one even thinks I'm Asian. Um, <laughs> and then they meet me and they're like, oh, you're Asian. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, well, why is your name Brad Jenkins? I'm just seeing their wheels turning. They're not actually saying. But when I was at the, even when I was at the White House, I'll say this, like I had opportunities, like very rare opportunities and like privileged and grateful for those opportunities to be able to have the pen on who are the people that get to meet the president of the United States or who are the organizations that get to be in meetings with the president. Right. And, and Valerie Jarrett, who is my boss or or the vice president and nine times out of 10 Asian Americans were not included. I mean, I would say almost 10 times out of 10 and my portfolio is not Asian Americans. It wasn't like my portfolio was mostly like political power. Like who are the most politically powerful organizations in the country, right? So who are the groups that have the most money, have the most people, 
had the long, you know, biggest lists, um, who can reach the most people. When it comes to political power, when I was at the White House, like 10 years ago, Asian American groups, there are very few, few and far between. Although we've been around forever. I mean, Asian American groups have been organizing, as I'm sure your listeners know, since the 1920s. I mean, the JACL, Japanese American Citizens League, was founded in 1929, right? Um, Asian Americans Advancing Justice has been around for like five decades. It's not like we haven't been around, but the lack of investment and the lack of resources that Asian American groups get compared to other groups, it's like scraping the bottom of the barrel. So when we're, when we have these opportunities to make these decisions, it was like heartbreaking for me because I couldn't, I like wanted Asian Americans at the table, but they weren't, there were no groups. (laughs) Like, they weren't doing political things, especially as it relates to voting, right? Like at that time, there were no Asian American PACs or 527s or organizations that are like supporting candidates or getting Asian Americans elected. So it was a learning process for me. It was also compelling and interesting also because even at the White House, and I would give, <laughs> not to put my fellow brothers and sisters on blast, but like I would never be invited. I would never be invited to Asian things. You know, I ate Korean food every day of my life. You know what I mean? Like, I grew up in Jersey. It's like a part of my life being being Korean. But we have this weird thing where, like, people don't view me as Asian, right? So even within the White House, I was not invited to Asian-American activities or events or meetings. And I have to remind people. I'd be like, you do know I'm Asian, right? Like, <laughs> I have to, like, pull my Asian card to be included. So the honestly, like, what you're doing, and also I think all Asian Americans right now, I think that there's like a bit of a evolution that we're having right now. Um, I, I'm thinking of the Grammy Awards, especially where the first five acts of the Grammy Awards, maybe four acts, were all Asian. Weirdly, it was Olivia Rodrigo, who's Asian, Bruno Mars and Anderson Pack, who are Asian, Japanese Breakfast, who's Asian. Like, all of these artists, oh, I didn't know that. But they're all Asian in different ways. Like we don't think of Bruno Mars or Anderson Pac as Asian. They are Asian, right? We don't think of Olivia Rodrigo as Asian. And I think that there's oh, boy, this, one <laughs> yeah, there's this like evolution of even what it means to be Asian American. And I think, you know, anecdotally, a lot of my friends who are Asian American, like you, who are maybe not as politically active. I do think that this moment, right, where, you know, the white supremacists in chief, right, like calling it Kung flu, calling it Wuhan virus, like weaponizing a pandemic against an entire community, the level of violence and discrimination against our community, when you see your elders, like when you see those images of people that look like your grandmother getting hit with bricks, it's like that feeling that you're not Asian or you're you're somehow maybe ashamed of being Asian or you've never like embraced your Asian identity, it, it goes away immediately. Like at the end, like when you see those images, you realize whatever game you're playing in your head that you were American or that you were assimilating or that you're white adjacent is bullshit. Right. And so, you know, I'm hoping a lot of my work right now is how do we tap into there's so much incredible compassion, empathy, 
you know, to your point, like a lot of people who are like wanting to get engaged for the first time and now have the privilege to, because by the way, getting engaged politically is privilege, right? Like my parents, my parents were pretty blue collar. Like they didn't have time to worry about politics. They were worrying about getting food on the table and making sure that, that like they could pay their mortgage. and Like they're saving enough money for college. Like they didn't have time to worry about politics. They did, they did not care about politics. And so a lot of times when we talk about this, there's a lot of like, again, I've been in rooms where a lot of white people like look down on immigrant communities and they're like, oh, well, they don't vote or they're not, they don't even know like what's happening. And the reality is like, this is the community that we should be over investing in, right? Um, this is the community that like quite literally, like this is what we're fighting for are, are like my parents and Asian American communities. They're not watching cable news. They're not watching, you know what I mean? Like whatever, and or listening to NPR. And so our community, like what you're doing, honestly, is so important because the last thing I'll say, and I know I'm like ranting, but I think one of the things I kept hearing when I was at the White House and even after the White House was how from Asian American groups, they'd be like, well, the media doesn't cover us, right? Or, you know, there are no polls that include us or there's no investment in like our community. And even then, and especially now, like I didn't have that much sympathy. Like I was like, I don't know. Well, there are a lot of wealthy Asian Americans in this country. So like, go raise the money from Asian. You know what I mean? Like, if if there aren't media properties or podcasts or journalism about the Asian American experience, go build that. That's like a market opportunity, right? Like, we have there's this this feeling of like helplessness, right? Like, we got to wait around for all these white journalists to start covering us. We got to wait wait around for someone to like wake up and be like, you know, what we should do, we should write about Asians. It's like. And maybe it's just the Hollywood mentality, but any Asian American creator, they're not waiting around for a white guy to tell their story. They're writing their story, right? Like Aziz Ansari or Mindy Kaling or all these folks, like they're going to go out and make their story. They're not going to wait for someone else. And I felt like on the political side, that's what we were doing. We're waiting for all of these like white packs or like white organizations to like notice us and invest in us. And I have like a big, like I have like a big chip on my shoulder with Victory Fund because I just don't care. Like I, I know what other people are doing. I know what other white-led organizations are doing. I don't think that they're doing a good job at reaching white people. Like we see the poll numbers. You know what I mean? Like all of these white firms that get mm-hmm. millions and millions of dollars. These white people need to learn their people better. Because the reason why Donald Trump was elected is because of white people, right? So I don't know why we keep giving white people more money to like reach my community or reach the black community. You know what I mean? So in my head, I'm like, we got to stop paying attention to those firms. They don't know what they're doing. They really don't. And when it comes to the Asian American community, we had the highest voter surge in the country of all groups. 40, 50%, 60% surge largely because of Trump with no money, no money. Like we were getting $0. 
And the reason why was because our community realized what was at stake. And we we're like, fuck this noise. I'm tired of seeing images of people that look like my grandmother, or my grandfather getting hit with bricks. And Donald Trump is fueling this rage. And so when Shaker and Bell called me and they're like, Brad, we want you to help us figure out a plan. I'm like, like, let's go. Like, we have to be, again, like, I, I hate to be one of these people, but I had a call. I'm going to say it. And by the way, they'll confirm it. I had a call. I was on a call at the DNC last yesterday. It was just so surprising to me how little they were investing in the Asian American community. And they had a record in, record fundraising call last cycle or not last quarter, just this past quarter, tens of millions of dollars. And I, I would just ask, I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, what are we Ain't doing? It's forgotten in these things. What yeah. are we investing in? So it takes time. You know, that's the thing. Like, I, I also come from a place of privilege. Someone explained this to me. They're like, well, Brad, you are lucky because you wear a lot of hats. You can like say this stuff and you don't have to worry about people hiring. I don't have to worry about, you know, the sort of status quo and needing a job from them. Do you know what I mean? Like, I literally don't need that. I'm making a film with Common. I'm making a TV special. I'm running a super PAC. I don't need the DNC contract. I don't give a shit. So, but we need, as like Rashad at Color of Change has done with the African-American community, right? Like as Maria Teresa Kumar has done with Voto Latino, with the Latino community, we got to just like be, we, we got to hold, sorry to say it, we got to hold these old, rich, rich white people accountable who are running all of these organizations. And like Jamie Harrison, the DNC would agree with this. He's, he's running the DNC. But like last cycle, it was pathetic. It was pathetic. Like they spent $0 on Asian Americans. They announced something two weeks before election day. They're like, we're going to do a bus. It's like, okay, great. <laughs> a bus, great. Like, that's what's going to, like, get Asian Americans. But, like, what you're doing with the podcast, Nancy, like, we have to, like, we can't, as much as I'm throwing shade on them, at the end of the day, I'm sure their answer to me is, like, okay, go do it then, Brad. Like, fine. Like, you can, like, throw shade at us. You go raise the money. You go do the thing for your community. And so I think that that's what, like the vibe and the tone that we all need to be in now is, and it's happening in Hollywood, right? Like this Asian American cinema explosion, it's happening because again, Asian American writers and producers and directors, they were not waiting on like a green light. They're like, no, we're going to go make some cool shit. Right. So in a weird way, like I feel like our culture is leading and like po like politics is actually like following our culture. Um, we're doing this big event with a lot of those people, like a lot of those people who've been leading on the culture side. It's exciting. I mean, it's exciting. I get, obviously, as you can tell, I get a little fired up <laughs> about this issue, but it's, it's the moment that we're in. I feel like any Asian American, and I, I've told this to so many people, like it does not matter what job you're in. It does not matter if you're in finance or tech or whatever it is like we need your help right like the i will say on the victory fund side i know i just threw a whole bunch of shit at the dnc but i love them i'm on their creative coalition committee so i love the dnc <laughs> he needs your help right like all of these candidates need your help right like andy kim who's a very close friend of mine we're doing a fundraiser for him um in a couple of weeks but andy 
is literally like the smartest Rhodes Scholar national security expert. He's running in a race where he's running against, again, a white guy who's the heir to a cruise line. Whoa. Whose job, I, and, I, and I'm not kidding, it sounds like Parks and Recreation, his like full-time job is like, he's like a yoga instructor. Nothing against yoga instructors, but like, Andy Kim literally was like serving in the military Holy and it was a Rhodes scholar. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, and here's the thing, Andy might lose to him because the amount of money it takes to win an election in Andy's district, it's millions and millions of dollars. And this billionaire heir is going to be able to go up on television way earlier than Andy. And his district got redistricted. So he has to essentially introduce himself to all of these new people. And so, you know, the white guy who never worked a day in his life, who's a yoga instructor, by the way, nothing against yoga instructors. I have a lot of friends who are yoga instructors, but, but that is not a prerequisite for being a member of Congress in New Jersey. (laughs) He, he has a very good chance of beating Andy, right? And that's why our democracy is so fucked up. And Andy can't count on really any other groups to support it. There's no other like constituency or group that's going to pour, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars to try to counterbalance what, um, what this guy is doing. And it's unfortunate. Like, I wish I didn't have to run a super PAC, but like, we're going to go all in for Andy because, He's by far the better candidate. It's not even, I mean, he's also a Korean American dad like me, but like, if we can let this heir to a cruise line buy a seat in Congress, what are we doing? Like, as Americans, what are we doing? <laughs> like, we might as well just like stop, you know, stop trying this experiment. So, you know, for you, like, Nancy, mm-hmm. like anyone wa- watching or listening this podcast, please like, please look up the Victory Fund. Look at the candidates that we're endorsing. We're also endorsing candidates that need your help. We're not endorsing candidates that like are definitely going to win. You know what I mean? Like, that's my thing. I was like, no, we're endorsing candidates where our endorsement, right, which is like it's money, but it's also we're throwing a fundraiser for Andy with Daniel Day Kim and you know, Lisa Joy Nolan and Tamla Tomita and Lisa Lang and all these incredible people. We have to like, honestly, like blow up Annie's race so that he can compete with this billionaire. All of our candidates are like that. Like Sonia Chang Diaz, God bless her. She is the best mixed Asian name. I have the worst mixed Asian name, but Sonia Chang Diaz running for governor in Massachusetts, same thing. Like the only way she's going to win is if people like you, Nancy, or other people listening realize like, oh shit, like I can have a real impact. And you'd be surprised at how quickly, if you email me or email Sonia's team, how quickly you will be involved. <laughs> like overnight, you will be hosting Sonia at your house. You know, like you will be involved in like campaign messaging. Like, how are we doing this? How are we bringing more people into the process? It's not a situation of too many people in politics. It's we need way more people that actually are not involved in politics, right? Like we need more Nancys. We need more people who are, you know, have a full-time job, 
living their life, but realize like what's at stake. Cause you also bring skills and talents that people in politics do not have. <laughs> Even at the white house, like a lot of my colleagues, I'm well, I'm putting a lot of people on blast, but like a lot of the, my colleagues, like they only worked in politics, you know, and they don't know how to talk to business leaders. They don't know how to talk to people who don't know how politics works. You have to like translate. You have to understand like not everyone is reading the New York Times or Axios or Politico every day. That's a that's the longest answer to a question of all time. But like everyone listening, you know, please get involved. Like there's so many ways you can get involved and you can DM me or text me or whatever it is. I'm at Brad Jenkins. Like we will, we will get you engaged. We'll get you involved. We'll connect you with a candidate and we need your help. Well, that was great. Cause my question was going to be, how do we get involved? Like what should we do? <laughs> and that's the answer right there. I think it's good for Asian Americans, everyone who is not super involved in politics to know that it is easy to get involved. I didn't, I thought like outside of voting, I'm not part of any nonprofits. How am I going to like help out the API Victory Fund? And then if it's as easy as DMing someone, you can easily get it volunteered, then I'm going to do it. And I think a lot of people are going to do it. And Nancy, I'm going to invite you on on air, on the podcast. We're doing this event on May 20th at the Kennedy Center for for the Performing Arts. Um, We're going to have the best and brightest Asian American civic leaders, political leaders, cultural leaders, as we call them. Um, I would love for you to come if you can come. No, like anyone listening, if you guys want to come, please let me know. But we're, you know, we are really trying to find Asian Americans who have never been involved in politics before. I, I admit I was never involved before Barack Obama ran. I, I did not work on a single campaign before he ran for office. And I started as a volunteer. I didn't know anything about politics. What I did know, I worked in operations at a trading desk. So what I didn't know how to do is like run a budget. (laughs) And what I didn't know how to do is like, you know, reconcile our our sheets every week. And like what I did know how to do was like build a plan. And so translatable to field and so translatable to the work that we were doing with media. And so I imagine every person listening who might not be involved in quote unquote politics, you have skill sets you don't even realize that we need. Yeah. Let me go code a website for some some new organization. Exactly. They need it. This is so great. We're out of time. Um, but if you have any last words of advice or any thoughts you wanted to get to that I haven't gotten to yet. No, I mean, Nancy, you're incredible. I want to say, again, the fact that you're doing this podcast is so awesome. And I would be honored and excited to jump back on. We have like so much more work that we're doing this cycle and would love to bring some of the candidates on who we love, like Andy, you've had Andy Kim on, speaking of Andy, who's like an incredible human. But the reality is less, I think it's like a little more than 1%, just 1% of elected officials across the country are Asian American, 1%. Mm -hmm. And as we know, that number needs to be way higher, particularly in states like Nevada, where we are 11% of the electorate, right? So we have a lot of work to do and anyone who's listening, even if you're not Asian American, like anyone who's listening, who wants to help, we're doing a big collaborative um, project with collective pack, which is the biggest African-American political action committee and Latino victory fund, which is the largest Latino political action committee, because we know that we can't do this alone. Like we have to be working together with communities of color. In fact, 
so many of the districts and counties that our community is in, it's like, it's the same. Like Gwinnett County in Georgia, it's black, Asian, Latino, right? Like Clark County in Nevada, black, Asian, Latino. So we, um, we need your help. We need all communities to step up. Um, would love for anyone listening to come to DC on May 20th. I guess the cat's out of the bag. Uh, feel free, feel free to uh, email Nancy or DM me. We'd love for you guys to come. Awesome. Thanks so much. I'm going to try to get this episode out quickly so we can send all of this information out. But that was super exciting. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Nancy. Uh, yeah, it was great meeting you. Well, you heard it here. If you're listening before May 20th and you're interested in attending this event in D.C., this fundraiser, Make sure to DM POC Podcast's account or Brad Jenkins' account, which will be linked below. And hopefully we will all see each other there. Also, thanks so much again for tuning in. Really exciting episodes coming for AAPI Heritage Month throughout the month. If I can get my editing done, we've recorded so many episodes with cool people that I'm excited to share. And of course, I'm still looking for an editor, a producer, a social media person, a brand ambassador who can help us connect to sponsors and all of that stuff. So thanks so much. Let me know if you know of anyone. And also be sure to rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, especially where you can write a review. And I will see y'all in the next episode. Bye.